When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. And uh, we're doing this on Wednesday morning and probably 20 minutes or so before we came on. Got the latest uh, big coaching carousel domino, Jeff Brom, leaving Purdue to go back to his hometown, Louisville, um, where there is an opening because of what I consider to be one of the more bizarre twists of the coaching carousel so far. Scott Satterfield leaving Louisville for Cincinnati. Not so much that he left because he isn't really wanted there, that Cincinnati picked him. But um, Bruce... Yeah, let's start with the second part of that. Why, of all the coaches, why is Cincinnati hiring Scott Satterfield, who is basically a seven and five coach in the ACC? Uh, I think Scott Satterfield is a better coach than that. And if you look, if they had hired him away from, uh, from you know, like from App State, where he was when I think he won like forty two games in his last four years there. And that's not that far away, honestly. It's not like you're hiring a Pac-12 guy to go to Cincinnati. I don't think that would have been a stretch. Um, You know, at Louisville in four years, he was basically a 500 coach. I mean, he's 25 and 24. Yeah, that's the problem. Um, I think he's a really good coach. I think think at Louisville, he got off to a really good start, taking over a bad situation from, from Bobby Petrino. And then it came out that he was listening to South Carolina for their coaching search, and that set people off. And I really feel like at that point, things got sideways in a hurry. And, you know, it was only a matter of time before he was going to either leave or they were going to fire him. They, I thought they were going to fire him at midseason after they lost to BC. He won enough games there to get to seven wins. I think he's a good coach. I think when you're Cincinnati and you're looking at who they were looking at, I don't think they were looking at a lot of uh, – it was going to be a lot of first-time head coaches that I think were in the mix for that. And Scott Satterfield, you know, his career record is what, uh, 76 and 48? That's pretty good. I think this is a good hire for them. I mean, I know you probably don't, but um, I think he's a good coach, and I just think, you know, this, I suspect, will be a better situation for him than where he has been at Louisville. I mean, if you had told me – Scott Satterfield was going to get like a mid-level SEC job. I'd be like, yeah, I could definitely see that. Or Scott Satterfield was going to be the next head coach at NC State or maybe even North Carolina. I wouldn't have been shocked by that. But, you know, he had a couple of dud years, especially, you know, his second year and then last year. But I think I would not sell him short. Well, you know, I do those coaching grades every year. And when Louisville hired him, I gave them an A. I gave them the highest grade of that whole cycle. That's how much I, how, how highly I thought of Scott Satterfield coming out of Appalachian State. But at some point, your record is what your record is. And he's 
been there for four years and he's a 500 coach. Cincinnati is coming off a playoff appearance. They are going into the big 12. You know, what was interesting is they're not paying Satterfield what they were paying uh, Luke Fickle, understandably so, but the assistant salary pool is 7.25 million. That's the same as Oklahoma's assistant salary pool. So they're, they're, they're loading up for the big 12. Who but I don't do know that the, this guy fire. that Satterfield is like the guy that inspires you to think, oh wow, this is the guy who to leave do you them think in. The they should have hired. Well, I know who was on the list, like those a couple of Mac coaches and whatnot. It just doesn't seem like it was a very inspired search. Why is Deion Sanders at Colorado and not Cincinnati? Why is Jamie Chadwell at Liberty and not Cincinnati? Like there are, in fact, I even thought you know UNLV hired Barry Odom. Was Barry Odom? any worse at Missouri than Scott Satterfield's been at Louisville. I just think it, you know, it's an eh higher. And I feel like I think this the, is, I feel like this is my, this is what I've affectionately referred to as house cats do because means. it means you have the short attention span. That's why you thought Jim Harbaugh was a, was a mediocre coach. Cause he had a couple of not great seasons. And you, I think you're like at the end of the day, these guys don't forget how to coach. Okay, but how is that different than um, not all great? Not all great. Yes, I do with the Harbaugh example, but not all great group of five coaches become great power five coaches. I mean, that's like saying, well, you know, after Tom Herman got fired at Texas, well, he hasn't forgotten how to coach. He did great at Houston. Like, just sometimes Scott Frost hasn't forgotten how to coach. Look what he did at UCF. Just sometimes they don't translate up. That is true, and I think, look, this is one thing that Scott Frost in the Nebraska situation crystallized for me, and I truly believe it now. It is very is very pivotal for most coaches who you follow and what the dynamic is, and because that's the culture and that's, the, that's how the players are going to respond to you, right? So in the case of – in the case of um, – Scott Frost, when they got to UCF, he took over after, and you may want to believe this, John, an asshole. You know, George O'Leary is <laughs> always the guy who's a hard, um, hard guy to 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 deal with, right? And he had players under his thumb, and then Scott Frost got there, and that staff, and the you know there were more players, coaches, and there was talent there, and the players responded to them, and that worked out really well. Um, when he when they got to Nebraska. As it was explained to me, there was kind of a fire there and they never really put it out, you know, culture wise. And so I think, you know, two years is to me, two years as a head coach, whether it's, you know, Tom Herman's time at Houston or or Scott Frost's time, it's something. It's not a extensive body of work. Right. I think there's you're still figuring out about what somebody is, whereas I do think Satterfield look and, and App State was, you know, has had a ton of success. But I think he did a really good job there. I am more sold on him. Now, look, you brought up Jamie Chadwell. I think I'm on the same side with you. I was like, how Jamie Chadwell, you know, has only moved up to Liberty is a head scratcher for me. I think he's a really, really good coach. I don't know why, like, um, you know, they have not been able to get him an SEC job or an ACC job. Georgia Tech. Like, I'm not even saying it has to be, you know, a, a top 15 type school. Um, all right. I, I've piled on Satterfield too much. Maybe he'll do well at Cincinnati, but you have to admit 
at the end of the day, Louisville upgraded. Yeah, I think I look, Jeff Brom is coming home. Jeff Brom did really well at Western Kentucky. He did really well at Purdue. I mean, he's a brilliant offensive mind and he's going to go into a place where they have a lot of NIL uh, investment going on. You know, their Adidas thing is strong. You see it with the class that Satterfield was putting together. I mean, Pierce Clarkson, who's, you know, the son of basically the godfather of private quarterback coaching, Steve Clarkson. He's a really talented quarterback out here at Bosco. He's going, there's some other top receivers who are, you know, on, you know, on track to get there. I mean, I'm excited to see what Brom can do going home. You know, I think, you know, he led Purdue to the Big Ten West title. They won 17 games the last two years. I don't know how much better he could have gotten Purdue. That's the thing. I think he realized that was that was going to be their ceiling. If I was Especially a with the fan, divisions going away. Yeah, look, I, I think a lot of Scott Satterfield, but I was a Louisville fan, I'd be really fired up right now because players, it seemed like, are coming and you got a really good offensive coach seems like they're 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 invested in on il you're in a league where it's like clemson's a little wobbly compared to at least where they were a couple of years ago florida state is on the right track now with norvell um you know we'll see if miami's recruiting soon pays off but it didn't this you know they were they're in the ditch right now i think this is a really good opportunity for for jeff brom to make a big splash at home what percent chance do you give jeff brom to win an acc championship in the next three years? Uh, can you say next four years? Can we do that? Next four years. 60%. That is bullish. That is pretty bullish. Um, I was going to go 50. Uh, and, and you know, we're set, this shows you how much confidence we have in him because, you know, yeah, Clemson has slid a little bit. I mean, they they still went 11-2 and two this year. Florida State seems on the up. You know, Cristobal, if nothing else, has been given, you know, an absolutely enormous investment to work with at Miami. But beyond that, I mean, there's no other program in the ACC right now that you're like, ah, he's really going to have to struggle to compete with them. So, uh, you know, I think, you know, say what you will about Bobby Petrino, he, he contended for, you know, an ACC title um, in 2016 when Clemson was at its absolute peak. I think Louisville has always been a bit of a sleeping giant program. So I think he he should do well there. Um, anything else coaching carousel wise since our last episode on Sunday that we should be keeping an eye on? You know, I think there's a few jobs that are still to be filled. As you mentioned, Barry Odom got UNLV. Kevin Wilson will leave, is leaving Ohio State to go to Tulsa. He's a longtime Oklahoma assistant. I think you'll see some 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 uh, you know a lot of assistant moves happen. But right now it's in it's in the uh, you know, we're in this NIL avalanche time of, of transfer portal stuff and everything else. And I think people are sorting through it. Uh, be interesting to see what kind of staff moves get made at Ohio State um, on that staff. We know Brian Hartline was briefly a candidate for Cincinnati. I wouldn't be surprised if Purdue looked, you know, tried to see if he was interested in going there or whatnot. Um, I think one of their young assistant coaches, Keenan Bailey, who's been a behind the scenes guy that Ryan Day really likes, I would expect he'd probably end up as like the tight ends coach there or something. That's, you know, something for Ohio State fans, I think, to keep an eye on because I think he'll be he'll be somebody people you're starting to see guys like that who are 
young assistants behind the scenes who I think get very valued. And all of a sudden it's like, you start seeing some of these staffs. Like I know Trent Dilfer at UAB has hired a few of these guys. And I think, I think those guys now have a lot more upward mobility than maybe they did five years ago as these staff pools have gotten so big. So expect a lot of other stuff going on. I mean, I don't know if there's going to be, you know, there's always that one big move that kind of swings around January 1st. Mm-hmm. We'll there's another one that's still, that's still going. I have no idea if anybody jumps, you know, jumps into the NFL pool, but um, it's, it's not, you know, it's crazy because I know you and I talked about this a little bit um, Sunday or a lot of Sunday on the splash hire of Deion Sanders. You know, we saw video and we're going to see a lot of video from inside that program, but of his first players meeting, it was blunt. It was like, hey, the portal, maybe maybe you need to look at it kind of thing. I think he had had some really blunt conversations with not just, you know, the players there, but it's interesting in that I talked to one of his, you know, I think it's his first commit of this class. There was, you know, we mentioned there was a five-star 2025 kid who's already committed, but um you know on we're taping this on they have rankings for the 2025 class those are kids who are currently sophomores yes no i think they're yeah sophomores i'm sure there are rankings for you know 2026 even and that's the the 247 goes up to uh well anyway say what you were gonna say i'm gonna look this up so I'm sorry, what are you talking about? To, uh, so, okay, so Jordan Hall is a kid from Columbus, Ohio. Enormous kid, 6'8", 325. Hasn't been playing football for that long. Um, and he was committed to Dion at Jackson State. And so when I talked to him yesterday, he uh, got a call on, on Saturday night from Tim Brewster. Remember that name? The former you know uh, Minnesota head coach who's bounced around as an assistant is now on Dion's staff and was on at Jackson State. And he was basically said, Are you ready to be a Buffalo? And the kid was like, Yeah, I was kind of confused. I hadn't been on Instagram for a little bit and didn't realize the Dion thing to Colorado had already happened. Um, so he committed. And when he committed, he said, I'm part of that Louis luggage he was talking about. Mm-hmm. And people saw that some. And he was like, Man, I got a lot of hate from that because people were like, Man, you're only a three star. Is that, you know, like kind of in down, downgraded him. And so he said something which our friend Ari Wasserman would probably cringe at, but he was like, you know, like people think I can't compete. It's like, honestly, they think stars matter, but they don't. So Jordan oh, Hall, you just shot a dagger in the heart of Ari Wasserman. No, I know. So Jordan Hall is going to Boulder and he will have a chip on his shoulder because of probably a few people just took issue that the fact that he was a three-star and they think everybody going to see you will be a five-star now. But interesting times in Boulder. The 2025 kid you're referring to is Winston Watkins Jr., a receiver at IMG Academy, ranked 13th in the class. He is committed to Colorado. I would encourage people, if you haven't already, go on YouTube and, and look up Dion's first meeting with his team. Because by the way, they're documenting everything. This documentary crew is with him 24 seven. You know, I I was saying to one of the beat writers, like you're going to have more inside access than any other, than any other beat writer in the country of any other school, because they're going to film everything. Anyway, watch the video of the team meeting because it is mesmerizing. Uh, You know, coach prime, obviously 
is unlike any other coach. He is basically talks like a preacher. Everything rhymes. Um, Did you not see any of his press conference? Because that's what I was like. His press conference was like a stand-up act. Yeah. No, everything he does is mesmerizing. Everything he does is mesmerizing. And if you watch the team meeting or the press conference, you're going to be like, but no more so the team meeting. You watch that and you're going to be like, my gosh, can you imagine him in a recruit's living room? How, nobody's, how would ever recruit ever say no? Because he is. He's mesmerizing to the point where, you know, and this is a little controversial. People feel, have mixed feelings about it. He basically told the team that he's going to run them all off. And he's basically like, he just kept saying, I'm coming. I'm going to go back to Jackson State, play in the Celebration Bowl, and then I'm coming. And when I come, not a lot of you are going to still be in this room, basically. And so he just told them that. And then within like 20 seconds, he's got them chanting along with him. I'm looking for players who are, say it with me, smart, smart. The, yes, sir. He just basically told you you're going to get cut. Now, no, I, think, gonna, he, I yeah. think what he did is the ones he, the ones who will still be there, he has challenged them. Yeah. Because they were one and eleven, and you know, as I heard, he told a bunch of players in one of the position rooms. I watched all the film of you guys. You guys are quitters and not welcome here. And to that that message of you better be better, or else we're not. You're not hanging out here. Just, just you know, it's 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 interesting because what the portal has done, what NIL has done is made everything like what have you done for me lately right i think he has been very blunt about this and a lot of this stuff happens in less articulate ways in less um you know the the coaches aren't as engaging maybe the he said it all out loud right like i mean lincoln riley ran off a whole bunch of guys but you didn't you didn't say that out loud um there is a rule people should be aware of. We I didn't know about it until doing this Lincoln Riley story last spring. A new coach can cut players. Um, it is the only circumstance where you are allowed to cut players. However, you do that, the university still has to honor their scholarship if they decide to stay in school. So that would get very expensive if you say ran off 50 players and they all stayed in school. I think the assumption is they would hit the portal. Um, also, But he is arriving... It's just this amazing confluence. He's arriving. He's he's unorthodox, and he's arriving at a time when the rules are all changing on the fly. Perfect coach at the perfect time for Colorado. Yeah, absolutely. And he's able to take advantage of the confluence of transfers being immediately eligible, NIL, and and most notably to me, remember we just got rid of the twenty five scholarship limit per class. That just happened. It's this is the first class where it's in effect but you have to stay at 85. He could theoretically sub out all 85 players for 85 new players. I don't think it's going to get to that, but I would imagine it'll be a, a pretty high number. So we're going to see, you know, everybody talks about that Lincoln Riley and USC last year was kind of a new uh, milestone in terms of turning over a roster in one year. This may eclipse that. We shall see. I also am very impressed with the staff he's putting together. You know, you mentioned candidates for the Cincinnati job. Sean Lewis, the Kent State head coach, was a candidate for that job. And he had left Kent State to be Dion's OC at Colorado. So um, I have a feeling he's going to bring in a pretty high-profile DC. We don't know yet who. Jim Leonard is on the market. Um, so, you know, it'll, it'll be – it's going to be entertaining and wild. 
The portal is, yeah. Before we get into that, just on, just to button up on Dion, the gulf between Dion as a speaker and as a presence compared to every other coach we've ever seen. Um, you know, like it, there was that thing I saw, I, there's like a Twitter site that just ranks everything. And at one point it said coaches with the most swagger. And it was like Dion one. And I think they said Lane was two. It should say Dion one. <laughs> not a knock on Lane, but it was like there aren't. And then start the next person at like 31. Somebody asked me who is the most, who is the second most charismatic coach now? And I was thinking about it. And the answer I came up with was Shane Beamer. He, oh, he's, he's I like pretty Shane Beamer. Oh, stops too. This is, you know what? Unfortunately, this is, this is too middle-aged dads who are in our 50s. I know. I'm I'm not disagreeing with you about the huge, 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 huge gap. I'm just trying to think of who would be... Shane Beamer's not charismatic. If you had to rank somebody number two, who would it be? Charismatic. Who's not? Shane Beamer's not charismatic. He's a nice guy. He's not charismatic. He... I mean, he does those, nah. those funny have videos. With All right, you, who's your answer? Who's your answer? Is it I don't have a good answer for that. He's not though. I like. He's a good. He's a nice guy, and he's done a. He's done a good what job. What did Shane Beamer do to you? He didn't do anything. <laughs> it was actually like, if you ask me, which coaches are kind of John Calipari has some legit charisma. Yes, yes, he does. Like Shane Beamer's nowhere near Jay that. Wright. Like, like that's the thing. Basketball coach. A lot of the basketball coaches fit this description. College football coaches, you know, they generally fit a stereotype. Um, you know, I was thinking about that, like just how different Dion's press conference was, obviously, where he's cracking all those one-liners, like the typical coach press conferences, you know, we're going to do things, you know, we're going to come here and we're going to do things the right way. And we're not going to cut any, we're not going to cut any corners. And we you know we have a certain set of values and we're going to make sure this was not like that at all. The only other, the only one football coach I can think of who did have some charisma. Again, it's more more in the Calipari-ish range. Was Pete Carroll? Yeah. Like, but stop with Shane Beamer because you're just basically outing yourself. So I mean, so. this is the guy who got the mayo. Like, watch some of his post game interviews after these big. If we're getting mayonnaise dumped on you by you're, definition. You're underselling you're Beamer in a in a I'm big. Not. But it, I'm but it's not. like if even if we even if and. I still, you still only give me an answer. Who's number two? I'm struggling. I, I don't know. Like, you know, it's funny because we mentioned this, this guy a couple minutes ago, a good barometer. I think of who has some presence to them is stand outside the coaches meeting at the AFC, AFC and see who kind of has a glow to them, mm -hmm. you know, surprisingly. And again, I wouldn't put him in, even in the Calipari range, but Jamie Chadwell has some has a glow to him a little. He bit does. He does. Um, more so than I would say Shane does. Um, you know, like. Oh, I got it. Butch Jones. Just kidding. No. Justin no, Wilcox. I, no. No. Nice. Yeah. Nice guy, Justin Wilcox. But no. And I don't think he would say Tom it. Allen. No. What? <laughs> Tom Allen. I'm looking at a list of every coach in the country and it. What stands out is how many of them are the are absolutely not in this description. Well, right? Kirby Smart is has the best program in college football right now. He doesn't have any. Eli, Eli Drinkowitz? No. No. Um, Jed Fish. No, he has a little more than some of the guys you just mentioned, though. Well, as of um, two months ago, I would have said Herm Edwards. Herm Edwards definitely has some presence. I mean, I don't think he was a good college coach, but he definitely has. It's the same reason why uh, I've got it. I've got it. 
Sturm was not Mike, bad on TV. Or Mike Gundy. Bad. It's Mike Gundy. He's definitely he the more most presence. like biggest presence um, of, of any of the we'll say incumbent coaches. Okay, let's talk portal. It's I was I was bracing for craziness and it still exceeded my wildest expectations. I don't know why the coaches thought this would be a good idea to do these compressed windows because I get it. They, they didn't like the fact that a guy could enter the portal any day of the year, but it's caused this situation where the, the Monday after the regular season ends a couple weeks before signing day in the middle of the coaching carousel, like a thousand guys. And I'm not making that number up. A thousand guys have entered the portal since Monday. And it's, it's absolutely dizzying. You know, I, I try to keep up on Twitter but I remember that, that on Monday, I saw that Spencer Sanders from Oklahoma State, the quarterback, four-year starting quarterback, had entered the portal. And I was like, holy cow. And then I realized, like, oh, he announced that three hours ago. Um, that, to me, was one of the bigger surprises, along with NC State star quarterback Devin Leary. Like, these are not guys who lost their jobs or struggling where they are. Like, they could have come back, played, and been the starter again this year. But no, they've decided to enter the portal. Um, who are some other guys who you saw come through the ticker or whatever? And you're like, wow, I can't believe that guy's going to be available for someone. I mean, we knew DJ was going to come. I mean, we've been hearing that for a while. So that wasn't a surprise. I think Spencer Sander was was a big surprise to me. Just he was the guy who like they'd bring to media days about like every year um, at Big 12. I mean, to me, that one was a surprise, not a surprise. I believe he was the 2021 Big 12 Player of the Year or Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year. Yeah. um, You know, like to see both former USC quarterbacks, not a surprise. It was like they had meh kind of years in 2022 and JT Daniels and Keaton Slovis. Um, I thought, you know, even Oklahoma State, you know, this is a really good running back. That's, you know, or is looks like they're going to lose a really good running back. Obviously, if you go to the go into the portal, it doesn't mean you have to go. Um, but it was just kind of a of an avalanche. Like Dorian Singer was yep. really, really good player. It was like thousand yard the, receiver. Led the Pac-12 in receiving yards. Um, and that program seems to be on the on the on the upswing, you know, they have a lot of guys coming back. They won five games. I'm guessing they're on track. They should be like a seven or eight, at least win team you would think next year, but to see him go in. And I think, you know, what you start to hear from the coaches is certain guys are looking out there, almost like putting up a bat signal going, okay, what can somebody do for me? NIL wise. Right. That's Um, the thing, right? Like you don't know, you don't know who's entering the portal because they genuinely think they, you know, need to find a better situation for their football career. And who's entering the portal because the collective's waving five hundred thousand dollars at them? Yeah, and I think that's the part where it gets gets it gets really interesting because the money is like we've talked about this for I felt like months. If you were a if you were somebody with nil money, why are you throwing it at high school recruits who are completely unproven? And we see the track record. If even the five-star quarterbacks, it's like they hit on like 30%. And that's before you're putting money in their pocket. Now you're putting money in their pocket. I'm guessing the hit rate of five-star quarterbacks is going to be less than 30%. And so you're better off going going to put that money into guys who've actually played in college football and are somewhat established and have done it because then at least you're, you know, it's an easier proposition. Like I, like living in Los Angeles – 
look at how the best players other than DTR at, at UCLA are all transfers. All of them. Zach Charbonnet, Latu Latu, Jake Bobo. I mean, it's been this way for a couple of years under Chip Kelly. And it's really was this way for Lincoln Riley. Obviously, Caleb, we think, is going to win the Heisman. Travis Dye was terrific at, at Oregon. He was terrific while he was healthy here. You know, Jordan Addison won a Bolitnikoff, was terrific. Mario Williams showed flashes at OU. And, he, you know, it's like, and then you look at the other side of the ball. Maybe that one good player who was here previously, but it was all kind of like the guys who were kind of mediocre players before, largely still mediocre players, you know, like, so to me, it's like, like, what are you doing throwing all the money at guys who are four and five stars out of high school who haven't really done anything yet? I spoke the other day with our friend Mike Caspino, the lawyer who um, does a lot of these things. What is he really? He is technically a lawyer. Um, Technically a lawyer, but he did the deal. He did one of the biggest money deals for uh, Nico, who is going to Tennessee, and seven-figure deal. And a lot of them. He's done a lot. He was doing a lot of high-level work. Okay, so he technically is a lawyer, but Jimmy Sexton does these deals. Jimmy Sexton's an agent. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, technically, to be an agent, you have to register somewhere, right, to be classified as an agent. So, what's the um, difference? I, I mean, like, in terms of this is not why I didn't bring him up for that reason. I brought him. I know, up I'm just trying to identify him properly because he told he told me that about starting about three weeks ago, the offers for high school recruits just stopped as they and they turned their attention to the portal. And I agree with you. I asked. Um, I was in at Ole Miss in the spring, and I asked Lane Kiffin about that. Why? Why are why are like portal players like a relative steal compared to these these high school recruits who haven't proven anything? And he thought that would correct itself. And I think that's absolutely what's happened. What we haven't seen yet is and but I think it'll happen at some point. Right. Like we've talked about a lot of good players. We haven't talked about necessarily like a guy who's going to end up going in the top 10 of the draft in a couple of years. But, you know, that's coming. Somebody is going to offer seven figures to steal away somebody's high round draft pick. The guy who you're hearing, I don't know that it's going to happen, but that maybe there's people attempting to do this is Drake may can a, can a big name program like in Alabama get their boosters to pony up a seven figure deal to get Drake may to come to their school. Man, those are, you know, imagine if you were Alabama, you're, you know, you've had great quarterbacks after great quarterbacks. doesn't look like there's, you know, that right now in the pipeline or certainly anybody proven. Mm-hmm. And now you can add Drake May. Now you obviously got to upgrade the receiver position and a bunch of those guys was like five of their top seven receivers are in the portal right now anyway. And it wasn't a great group, especially by Alabama standards. I mean, the bidding war and granted Drake May has all sorts of deep ties to UNC and that program with his family. But if he wanted to like say, Hey, let's start the bidding water bidding war at like $3 million. I'm guessing that would seem cheap compared to the impact he could make given the, all the other NIL money. Like I know of last year, there was a good, good, but not certainly all American caliber defensive end who got half a million dollars to go to a power five school. And he almost, he, I don't know if he had more than four sacks this year. 
and he got half a million dollars. And you're really gonna you're really gonna give all those details and not the name. I pretty much did. I mean, he was at a Big Ten school. Um, Max lives near it. I don't. Know. That's that's it. I'm stuck. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Can I say? Can I guess? No, you cannot. No, you cannot. I've already. Well, well you just I, gave me a bunch of clues. Can I? I can't guess on the air. No, you can't. You can. You I can, guess that technically is, a, is accusing somebody of because everything we've just described is against the rules, but nobody cares about the rules. So I guess I can't out somebody who would have technically broken the rules. Um, so uh, what was I going to say? Um, well, if you're Drake May, well, first of all, let's look at this from two sides. If I agree with you that if you if you could guarantee today that you're going to get Drake May. At the way he's played at North Carolina for 14 games next year, name your, price. name your price. What if you pay him $2 million and he tears his ACL in the second game? Like that, that's the risk of that to me from the Drake may side. You know, I, he, he would think he would be somebody who, and don't get me wrong. Like we're talking life-changing money there, but the real life-changing money is when he's going to get drafted. And I would think he, is going to keep his eye on that. And does he think if he, if he thinks, Hey, I'm not UNC is not preparing me well enough for the NFL. I need to go play for um, Alabama or Ohio for Ryan day, you know, like I, yeah, but I, but I think that, you know, when you start talking um, guys who, if they turned pro today would be a mid round pick or a late round pick, then yeah. Like somebody's offering me a half a million dollars. I'm going. Okay, well, let's let's talk about one specific example that's interesting to me. DJ Uyunglele, former five-star, as powerful an arm as there is in college football right now, big kid, moves pretty well, whatever, 6'4", 240, completed 62% of his passes, 22 touchdowns, seven picks. It felt it did not feel that good as those numbers, the stat line, right? He ended up losing his job late, at the, late in the year to Cade Klubnik. He is on the move. DJ probably made a bunch of money. He got a national TV ad for Dr. Pepper last year. Um, if you're him and if you're going coming out of this, especially if you're going back to the West Coast where he's from, I think the question is, who can get me most ready to be an NFL quarterback? Because if you aren't developed more, there's going to be big questions. Like if he went in the draft right now, nobody's taking him in the first round. I'm, gu- I'm guessing he no. probably would go in the first three rounds, right? Because there's questions of how, you know, you know, like who can cater an offense to do the things he does well and maybe not ask him to do some of the stuff that he struggles with. Well, and- the, the school that everybody's saying with him is UCLA. And Chip Kelly was an NFL coach. But it's not like he has a long history of turning out NFL quarterbacks from college, right? We'll see where no, but- DCR goes. Yeah, but I think at the same time, the I UCLA does not have NIL money of substance no. relative. So the question is, <clears throat> which is interesting, the third string quarterback at UCLA, Chase Griffin, has twenty nine different NIL deals. Twenty nine. <laughs> he is making a ton of money um, because he is a you know he's. He's a brilliant kid off the field, and he's been very industrious and got done a, done a lot of deals. But he's in Los Angeles, which certainly helps that. Um, DJ coming home, like I don't think if you're if you're the next school that's recruiting DJ, I don't think the sell is about what can we do for you nil wise. 
It's really, what can we do for you football-wise? Because the NIL piece is like, that. you said this a couple minutes ago, like the real money for him going forward will be if you can make if he can become an NFL quarterback. If not, his NIL money is going to be for this for 2023, and then he may be a fringe NFL quarterback, or he's going to be playing in the XFL or the I mean, US. We're t- yeah, we're talking about this guy like it's some sort of no brainer that wherever like we're making it sound like he can just pick his school. If I I I didn't see that from him at Clemson, he, he didn't. You know, for all the recruiting hype, he doesn't look to me like a guy who um, – here, let me give an example. Um, Jaden Daniels is not a – you know, the, the situation – actually, let me bring up Jaden Daniels. The situation L, that Brian Kelly brought him into was one where he was no guarantee to win the job, right? He did win the job. But Nussmeyer was there. At that time, Miles Brennan was there. So it wasn't going to be the end of the world if he came there and, and didn't pan out. That's what I would do. I would bring DJ. If I was a coach, I'd want to bring him into a situation where I have a plan B. Because if you're just going to put all your eggs in his basket, what if he just plays exactly the way he's played at Clemson the last two years? So um, here's an idea. I don't know. <laughs> DJ. So I just, first of all, credit to our, our guy, Max Olson. If you look up DJ's page on ESPN.com, the very first thing it says is, He's in the transfer portal. Max Olson of the Athletic reports. He is though. He is the portal authority. Um, so because 2020 doesn't count, and that was his freshman year, DJ technically has three years of eligibility left. What about go to USC, redshirt for a year, compete for the job? I have a, after question, I have a question though. He's yeah. played 2020 doesn't count, but he played a full season in 2021, and he played a full season in 2022. So he has two years of playing eligibility left, plus a redshirt that he hasn't used. I got. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I think the question on that though is Malik, um, Malachi Nelson, who's the top-rated quarterback in next year's class. He's going to redshirt, and I think a lot of people around here think Malachi Nelson will be the next one after Caleb leaves. Like, there's no guarantees of that, right? Um, there's no so, guarantees of that but he'll be a true freshman. I mean, he'll be a redshirt freshman he'll be a redshirt freshman. with a guy who would be in his fourth year of college. And Hey, look, there's no I, downside. I if you're a Lincoln Riley, you can sit there and say, I can take, if you're really not sure on Malachi, I can take whoever's going to be the hot quarterback the next year who may be more proven than DJ is yeah. right now. Well, and if you're DJ, you can go there, compete for the job. And if you don't get it, transfer to another place. JT Daniels is about to transfer to his fourth different school. Um, speaking of former USC quarterbacks, I don't know. Do you have a great uh, suggestion for DJ other than UCLA, who everybody thinks is the obvious one? I don't. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen at Oregon right now. Will Stein did a good job with Frank Harris. He's the new OC there. I mean, they have, it looks like, and again, a lot can happen before signing day. They have a five-star quarterback who's committed there. Who everybody thinks is super talented in the, you know, but again, he hasn't done it. And so Bo Nix could come back. I think Bo Nix, you know, from everything I heard, it sounds like he's leaning towards coming back. So, you know, if that's not open and then you're looking and we know Washington's not open because Michael Penix Jr. is coming back um, on the West Coast. I don't think UCLA. I don't I'm sorry. I don't think USC is a realistic option. I don't see him deciding I'm going to go sit out a year. Well, you know who who on the West Coast really needs a quarterback, and 
and I think has a great offensive coach, Oregon State. Uh, they are going to be hunting in the portal, to say the least. And Jonathan Smith is a great offensive coach. He hasn't, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't believe a Washington, I mean, an Oregon State quarterback under him has gone to the NFL yet. Um, but, I mean, that's that's a good situation. Oregon State is probably sitting there looking at the portal going, wow, we have a lot of options here. Um, yeah, and Jonathan yeah. Smith, Pac-12 Coach of the Year. I agree, really good coach. Look, Cal just hired Jake Spavital. When he went back there the first time, he took Davis Webb, who he knew, and they had the number one offense in the Pac-12. Now, they have a really good running back, but they need major help on the offensive line. But They've lost a lot of guys to the portal already. They do have a really good running back, though, and Jaden not. But they they, and they have pretty good receivers. It's the, I what about – there's one other guy. We need to – we want to get to the mailbag, but there's one other um, intriguing quarterback I wanted to mention, Brennan Armstrong from Virginia. Brennan Armstrong two years ago had like 4,600 yards of offense. He was phenomenal. I think he was all ACC, maybe not first team. And then this year took a big step back. There was a coaching change, obviously. Bronco Mendenhall um, stepped down. His OC went to Syracuse. Tony Elliott comes in. And his did not quarterback go. coach, Jason Back, also went to Syracuse. I would not be surprised if Brennan Armstrong goes to Syracuse with right. um, the two, you know, Robert and I as the offensive coordinator you're talking about. Beck was the quarterback coach. It worked really well for them, like you said. Um, I think Garrett, but Trader, Garrett Trader could come back. He could. It's just the question is if you're – and this is where it is interesting because if you are Dino Babers ultimately – who do you ride then? Uh, I mean, you got two coaches who know how good that kid was, that guy was. Um, it, it's an interesting, interesting dynamic there. It is. So that would be a logical domino. By the way, Brennan Armstrong is one of those guys. There's been a lot of them so far. When I see them out of the portal, I go, how can they have eligibility left? But, you know, we still have the COVID year. So a lot of guys are, are going to have this five. Is like, this is kind of blows my mind a little. I almost like, you know, I've heard, heard so much about modern day because I travel with Leinart all the time and everything. But like, I feel like JT Daniels will be playing in college after Cole Leinart leaves. You know, it's like he's been there <laughs> for so long. And part of it is because, you know, remember, he left early from high school to, to yeah. go there in the first place. Um, he has you know, had quite a journey, to say the least, right? He started as a true freshman at USC in 2018 and started then entered the next season as a starter and got hurt in the first game. And Keaton Slovis took over and that was the end of that transfers to Georgia. Everybody assumes he's going to be the starter there. Can't beat out Stetson Bennett. Spends two years at UGA transfers to West Virginia. And mostly from what I can tell had kind of an injury plagued year this year. So um, I'm, rooting, I'm rooting for JT Daniels at his next spot because I, you know, you kind of feel for for somebody who's like had that five star, you know, thing attached to them. And then they kind of get dinged a lot of times, especially on social media, you know, as it comes. And mm -hmm. so um, I'm rooting for JT Daniels in his next act, too. I am as well. And if I recall, his other finalist when he chose West Virginia was Oregon State. So ah, there's your Jonathan Smith connection. If it's yeah, there you go, Stu. Way to leave some candy out there. 
if you are somebody who's trying to make sense of the portal, which is moving, you know, at, at an insane pace, I highly you recommend you should follow Max Olson. Yeah. Follow Max Olson on Twitter. He, he knows exactly when, as soon as the guy enters the portal, he has it. And, you know, and then the step two of this will be when these guys make their decisions of where they're going to go next. Mailbag, as always, send your questions to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. All right, Stu, let's start. This one I feel like is right up your alley. It is from Blaine in Virginia. Is this past weekend giving you cold feet about the expanded playoff? A three-loss team getting a bye is ridiculous. Week zero becoming week one means players, bro- players boiling in August heat against weak competition in empty stadiums before students arrive. A that hasn't win. happened yet, by the way. Okay. They haven't, they haven't necessarily agreed to do that. First round games will go head to head against the NFL, a ratings nightmare. I want to hear your thoughts on that, Stu. The semifinals and finals are going to have to be played on weekdays. So if you make the conference championship game and the playoff game, fans are going to have to shell out for four neutral site games, the latter two on weekdays. Blaine is raising some good points. Okay, Stu, let's defend this. I'm not having cold feet about having an expanded playoff, but I do think there are two major flaws in the system that they design. Now, every season is different. Not every season is going to play out the way this year did, but the way this year played out, uh, three law, he's right. Like they've reserved the top four seeds for conference champions, the top four conference champions. The fourth conference champion this year is 10 and three Utah. So 10 and three Utah in this system. And also yeah. worth noting, this is in the, the model where this wasn't like, like North against South in the conference, the PAC 12 had already gone to one division, right? Yes, so- exactly. And they went to it. It's ironic, right? They went to it because they wanted to have the two best teams in the game. And, and I'm not saying Utah wasn't the two best, one of the two best teams, but they got in basically on a weird tiebreaker. It could have been 10 and two Washington. Um, so, so Utah is a first-round bye team, and uh, Ohio State is not. <laughs> Ohio State, 11-1, and one, number four in the country, has to play a first-round game. That seems like a flaw. It's a flaw. Now, you could say, and people are saying, like, well, you should get rewarded if you're a conference champion. This incentivizes conference championships. I get that sentiment. I do. But it comes at the expense of having a really – like, you know, you think about the NCAA tournament when the brackets come out and people look at it and go, oh, man, this one seed has a way easier path than that one seed. Um, you know, it's coming at the expense of competitive balance. And so the example I used in the written mailbag is that in if you play, if you look at what this year's bracket would have been with this year's rankings in this format, I argue Ohio State has an easier path than Michigan, who beat them and won the Big Ten. Michigan gets a bye. But as the two seed in there, when they do play in the quarterfinal, they would likely be playing number seven seed. And I'm using air quotes right now, Alabama, Ohio state uh, plays in a first round game against Penn state at home. And if they win that, they get to play number three, again, air quotes, number three seed Clemson. Does anybody think Clemson is a three spot better team than Ohio state this year? Absolutely not. So I think it's a huge flaw in the system. Um, and then the other thing he mentions, I do think that the sentiment is strong that they kind of had to do this where the quarterfinal games are at New Year's Six Bowls because of the existing contracts. 
for the last two years of the current contract. But when it starts anew in 2026, I think the quarterfinal games will be on campus. Um, just for many reasons. It just doesn't make sense for the top four seeds to not get to host a home game for, as he said, for fans to have to travel to that many sites in a row. Um, as we're, as we're taping this, they're having the SBJ uh, panel in uh, Vegas with a bunch of the ADs and the commissioners. And I saw Kevin Warren himself say he's now open to uh, uh, quarterfinal games on campus. So I think that will happen. Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second, but now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. When you are hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash audible. That's linkedin.com slash audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Nicole Davidson in Austin, Texas, Bruce Hookham. Uh, with the Heisman conversation heating up, I am shocked. Bijan Robinson is not more in the conversation. I think she wrote this right before the finalists were announced. He was not one of them. At this point in college football, is it impossible to win the Heisman unless you're on a playoff contending team? I'm going to leave the second part out. Uh, it's near impossible. You need to have otherworldly kind of stat numbers. Um, and the reality is, like, if you ask me, is Bijan the best running back in college football? That's certainly the best. If you ask me who's the best, like, pro prospect, I would say Bijan is. Having said that, um, you know, the, the running back, uh, the player on the, on the team that won the championship in his conference is a guy that he He's might have been. no on, Heisman mention. Uh, but he might have been on my ballot. I can't say, you can't say if he did or not. Yep. Um, I, I think, uh, yeah. Like, to me, I think it, running backs are hard. It's just like. Like, as I'm looking at this right now, Bijan was what in where did Bijan finish fifth in the country in rushing yards? Not certainly not bad. He averaged over six yards a carry. Um, they were they were they had a better year, but it's like you're not winning. Like as a running back, I think you need to have like well over 2000 yards if you're not going to be like Derrick Henry won it on a really good team. Mark Ingram won it on like those are those are great teams they were on. 
you know, Barry Sanders had an all time year. You know what's and- most telling about that, Bruce? Jonathan Taylor at Wisconsin, who had at least one 2000 yard season, as I recall, and then two others that were real close to that was never a Heisman finalist. You know, it used to be 2000 yards was like this mythical figure that, um, you know, if you're Ricky Williams, if you're uh, uh, Barry Sanders, right. But, but it didn't get him anywhere. So Bijan Robinson, look up his game by game. He definitely was very underappreciated against big 12 champion, Kansas state. He had 30 carries for 209 yards and two receptions for 34 yards against Kansas. 25 carries for 243 yards. numbers against Alabama. That was a much-watched game. 21 carries for 57, three catches for 73. His, his like, you know, you're not going to come back from this against TCU. I think that was probably the, other than the Alabama game, would have been the most-watched game they played all season. Complete non-factor. 12 carries, 29 yards. I think that's, that's not the reason. But I think that's part of why, like, could he have, there's a difference between could he have won it and could he have at least been a finalist? Um, I think a big part of like, to me, the Heisman show, which I don't watch the Heisman show anymore. I haven't watched it, you know, much of it in a long time. Which Heisman show are you referring to? The one where it's the presentation for the Heisman. Oh, okay. So it's an hour long show. Like if I was them, you know, you should be honoring the best players in the country. I, I mean, do people care if there's six guys there? I remember I've covered it like probably five times. When there's three guys, it's less of an event, right? Mm-hmm. When there's six guys, I think there's more of a stock. I remember being at the Heisman when it was Johnny, Colin Klein, and Manti Teo, um, which is like a super interesting trio now because Johnny was like Elvis. And Manti Teo, we talked about like, you know, the Yahoo, not Yahoo, the Netflix. I'm trying to remember who did that great documentary. Netflix. Thank you. Um, it's a fascinating story. And here's Colin Klein, who I think is everything I've heard from people in the Big 12 is like one of the rising star coaches in college football and was, you know, as a great player in his own right. But like there just wasn't a, like beyond Johnny, there wasn't that sizzle there because it was one. You know, there's a couple of players. If you have six guys, then I think they get celebrated. Whereas, you know, people have kind of it's unfair to, you know, Stetson Bennett is going to getting gonged a little bit because they're like, wait, Stetson Bennett's there as opposed to like Stetson Bennett's a terrific player and he's obviously on a great team. Um, I don't have a problem with Stetson Bennett, you know, you know, being honored and being there. I just think they probably should add a couple more guys in addition. Well, they actually changed it in the last few years. It used to be that they basically just wherever there was a drop off in the vote, that's where they cut it off. And I agree with you. Like there were years where um, there were only a lot of years where there were only three guys because there was such a big drop off after that. At some point, and I don't I could not tell you what I'm I'm looking through it in 2018. There were only three finalists. That may have been the last year of that way of doing it, because now it's four and only four. Um, no matter what. So the four this year are uh, Caleb Williams, Max Duggan, um, Stetson Bennett, and and uh, CJ Stroud. Um, and when this came out, when this got announced, I have to admit, when, when Stetson Bennett's name came on the screen, I was a bit shocked. I was not expecting that. But I also don't know that it's some huge travesty. But some people did react that way. Like, I think... For the last two, three years, there's always been this. I feel like the respect level for Stetson Bennett has always lagged behind where he was, right? 
he was the walk on. I mean, even, you know, part of the problem, I think part of his image was that everybody knew, like even Kirby smart didn't trust him. Like he went out looking for, you know, that's why we went out and got, um, the wake forest quarterback. What was his name? Uh, I'm blanking too. Jamie Newman. Thank you. When I got JT Daniels and Jamie Newman in the same year, which tells you how much faith he had in Stetson Bennett. Um, he started, Oh no, another name. I'm not going to remember. Uh, the kid, he transferred to Florida. Uh, that guy was the starter, the week one starter. Shoot. I don't Dewan Mathis, Dewan Mathis. Um, basically he was looking for anybody but Stetson Bennett. So I think that put him in a hole reputation wise. And then he also wasn't putting up big stats, but this year, this, this is what I, after the fact, when I looked it up, cause you know, I, again, I was a little surprised. And then I looked at his season. He basically rose to the occasion in all of their biggest games and then threw a bunch of picks in their other games against Oregon. 25 of 31, 368 yards, two touchdowns. That is quite good. South Carolina, 16 of 23 for 284 and two touchdowns. Number one, Tennessee, 17 of 25 for 257 and two touchdowns. And LSU in the SEC championship game, 23 of 29 for 274 yards, four touchdowns, and no interceptions. Note there were no interceptions in any of those games. When you look at it that way, you're like, okay, I see it. Yeah, look, I he deserve I, I give him the credit. He deserves it. He's earned it. He is not say anybody else hasn't earned it, but I mean, it is nothing has come easy for him in terms of getting doubted everywhere along the way. Um, I think it's I think it's awesome what he's done. Um, and when you say he up, earned it, we're not saying that Hendon Hooker did not like. No, he was, he, he I, I, I know. I'm just saying yeah. like he has really been doubted everywhere along the way. Like if, if it was up to me. The three guys that I would say I would think should have also been there. Um, and I'm going to take Blake Corum out of there because he got injured before their biggest game. But Blake Corum also might have been on my ballot too. Um, but I would have liked to have seen Hendon Hooker there because Tennessee was crap until he showed up. And yeah, he got hurt um, and missed the end of the year. But I think, you know, like honestly, I've been in Knoxville. Like, I'm glad T has a street and I'm glad, you know, Peyton has, a, you know, like they should name something after Hendon Hooker because what they did, you know, this year was pretty amazing. I did not see that coming from from there. Um, I think Deuce Vaughn should be there. I think he has had an amazing career and had an amazing year and they won the Big 12 title and I think he should be there. The other one that to me is kind of like, and again, we're on the West Coast, so it gets lost a little bit, is Penix. Penix... Yeah put up ridiculous numbers they had they had such a bounce back year from where they were they were so bad last year in such disarray and Kalen DeBoer deserves a lot of credit and but but Penix man like and good look I'm glad he's coming back because you know he's going to hopefully he will get all his you know kind of shine this offseason as people hype up 2023 but like to me, those are the guys. Like a Hendon Hooker, absolutely should be there. I I just you I know, think his downfall was the South Carolina game. You know, not that he got hurt, because but that they just got destroyed. I think at that point everybody broke him off. But I think if you look, take a step back, like, even with that game, right? Even with that, you know, he didn't do well against Georgia either. But even with that, 
By the, the way, in that game, just so we're clear on that game, he had three touchdowns and zero picks. Ended yeah. Hooker did not play defense for the Vols. Number two rated passer in the country, 70% completions, 3,135 yards, 27 touchdowns, two picks. Uh, pretty good. Give him a street. <laughs> um, now, what's crazy is we just mentioned all of these quarterbacks, and you know who we didn't mention? Reigning Heisman Trophy winner Bryce Young, who I'm not saying necessarily he should be there, but if we were doing a draft of just what who's the most talented quarterback who you would most want on your team, still Bryce Young for me. I think he's he's some. I think that he even did what he did this year, which was uh, three thousand seven yards, twenty seven TDs, and five picks with basically no good receivers, um, is a testament no to Bryce Young. Yeah. What's that? No great receivers. I think no great is. receivers. But, you know, at the end of the day, the All-SEC team came out. Teams, uh, coaches, uh, All-SEC teams came out. Coaches now, not media. Hendon Hooker, first team. Stetson Bennett, second team. All right, let's do the last question. Jason Lastner in Iowa City. Now that Wisconsin and Nebraska have upgraded their head coaches, don't you think that both Iowa and Northwestern are overdue for modernization? If Ference and Fitz were to suddenly retire at the end of the season, who would each program's modern upgrade be a la Fickle at Wisconsin and Rule at Nebraska? It's a great, 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 great question. You know, the, the Big Ten West has always been kind of everybody's kind of this other than Purdue under Braum, kind of running the same 1970s style offense. I have one for you, by the way. Go okay. ahead. Well, I'm curious to hear what you're going to say, because while it's easy to say they should upgrade from those guys, like, are you going to run the air raid at Iowa? Are you going to, you know, whoever the coach is at Northwestern, not going to start bringing in a ton of four and five star guys. So it is worth asking if with Iowa in particular, I mean, obviously their offense should be better than it is now, but, but do they, when he says modernize, I don't know that that means that I'm going to start running the air raid at Iowa, but go ahead. All right, so I'm going to talk about your alma mater first. First of all, Ride fits as long as he's there. I mean, he's the identity of the place. I mean, again, it's not my alma mater, and so I, I get it why so many sports writers get pissed off at you know three and nine seasons. The guy's a really good coach. He hasn't forgotten how to coach. He'll he'll shake up his staff, which he's done. Um, I am I, not in the fire fits crowd, just to be clear. Um, okay. I, very, I think he got what you wish for. Treasure. Yeah, but... If he decided to retire, which I don't see that happening, but if you know if he was you're making a coaching change, do whatever you can get some of that Stu Mandel, Rovell, Michael Wilbon money and go throw it at Mike Kafka and say, I know you like the NFL and you're doing really good. Wow, that is not who I thought you were going to say. No, he is a he is like the rising one of the rising stars. He's learning under Dayball offensively. He was at, with Andy Reid. Um, I think he would make that make he would give that place so much of a different vibe. I don't want to say because like Fitz has a ton of energy. Like I don't, you know, like I wouldn't. He has a ton of. I honestly, I have not heard that mentioned, and I actually think that is the perfect answer. I mean, and it's crazy as he was only this. If I recall, he was only their starting quarterback for one season, but he was a it was a really good season, and he got picked in the fourth round. And yes, like all of his experience for the most part has been in the nfl wow he what talk about a fast riser he was a ga at northwestern in 2016 and i feel like within three years he was the let's see 
I mean, he was Pat Mahomes' quarterback coach. He got with the Chiefs and that thing. Like, Andy Reid is a good one to learn around. And now he's with yeah. Dayball. And Dayball's really, like – it's funny. When Dayball was at Alabama, I don't know. Maybe Aaron Settles, our buddy, who covers, who covers them, got to know him well. I did not kind of get, get Dayball until we did one of their games. And I was with Brady. And Brady had Dayball in two different stops. And I'm like, oh, I can see why people really like him. You know what's crazy? Dayball is known now entirely because of his NFL experience. And he will go down as a trivia question, though. Who called the play on second and 26 in the national title game? Brian Dayball. Okay. He was Saban's OC for one season. Northwestern is not lacking for money, Bruce. They just announced they're building a $600 million stadium. Uh, this is after building a $400 million practice facility. Uh, it's not going to come from me or Ravel. It's going to come from Pat Ryan, who is uh, whose name is on the stadium and who has funded basically any uh, any big project you've seen at that school recently. Um, I like it. I thought you were going to say throw it at your guy Dave Clawson. No, like look, that's Adam look, Rittenberg's guy, Dave Clawson. Look, let Dave Clawson keep doing what he's doing at Wake Forest. He has brought them their football program and identity. He doesn't need to go there to do anything more than he, like he can, you know, I think he's in a good situation for that. Like, I don't know how Northwestern is an upgrade for him. Well, only in that. I just think if at this point, like with the money being what it is, if you can get into the big 10 or the sec, it's kind of a no brainer, right? I mean, you're going to have so many more resources at your disposal, but, but there's something to be said for, if you're happy where I, you are, I have one for Iowa though. And this is, Oh, gonna be, this is going to be good. Oh, it's good. Um, so we're talking about modernizing their offense. I think they bring one of the Iowa favorite sons home. He's a little different style than Kirk Ferentz, but Dana Holgerson would get people's attention oh, in Iowa City. <laughs> He's from Iowa. He, you know, he went to school there uh, when he was with Leach and Hal Mummy. I mean, I can't imagine that like that would be a dramatic shift. You know, to go from, but he's a really, really good offensive coach. If Kirk Ferentz retired tomorrow, there would I be guess such. Paul Woods would be the guy. I was going to say there would be such a huge clamor for Bob Stoops. Bring him home. Bring I don't home think our... I don't think Bob wants to coach in college football. I think the you don't ex... think he'd be tempted by his alma mater. I don't. He loves his alma mater. I know that because he's like he's still on our big noon text threads, and we'll get a go Hawks out of him where it's like, oh yeah, Bob's still on here. He used so to go often. to their bowl even when he was still the coach of Oklahoma. He would go to their bowl games and wear his Iowa hat. Like, here's the thing about Bob Stoops. Bob Stoops, you know that expression, living their best life. Bob Stoops seems to be living his best life. Like he seems to be very happy. He will get to coach in the XFL. I will be a Renegades fan. That's his team. And he doesn't have to deal with recruiting. He doesn't have to deal with a lot of the stuff that's a pain in the ass stuff that a lot of coaches dread. And at this point, I don't see Bob wanting to do it. I'm not speaking for him. That's just my impression. Well, Holgerson would be more entertaining anyway. That was a great question. I'm going to give it some more thought after the podcast. But now you've planted the, the Mike Kafka idea. I think the thing I is, think though. Mike Kafka wants to coach in college football, by the way. The, well, I also want, don't think Fitz, by the time Fitz retires, you know, which could be 15 years from now. This isn't even going to be a thing, but he, or even in the next, like, is he, I, I don't follow the NFL that closely. Is he going to be an NFL head coach by like next year? I would think within four years, I bet he's getting interviews like maybe four with, years. Maybe with if a, he's that hot. Maybe it's in two years. 
It might be. You know, it's like yeah. those guys heat up and they cool off fast. But I would think within a couple of years, he will get head coaching interviews. I also think, I know, you know, like this came up, maybe you were the one, in fact, who like texted me, I'm making breakfast for the kids. You're like, this can't be true, can it? And it was some kind of, it was like a sizable college football account that it was tweeting out that Joe Brady was like, in a, if he couldn't get a head coaching job, was going to be the offensive coordinator at, at Oregon, right? You text me this yeah. and I was like, all right, I know Brady. I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to him. And within like five or 10 minutes, he was like, yeah, that's not happening. And he was like, my phone is blowing up with people. Like I looked at my phone and all of a sudden I got all these people and I don't think Joe Brady, and it's well known by people who are close to him. He doesn't want to go deal with all the college coaching stuff. They want to just, they, they want to coach NFL because it's, it's more pure football. This was a loaded, loaded episode. As always, send your emails to the audiblepod at gmail.com. Um, we're going to go into a, probably a couple week period here where we're not necessarily on our conventional schedule, but, um, but we will be back early next week. We'll see you next time.